Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. So look, we're in the second week of our series, Rebuild, where last week I shared with you three foundational shifts within our church that we've been almost rebuilding Lifehouse on, where last week I shared how COVID kind of tore us down some, to be honest with you. We were kind of like building, going, and COVID gave us the opportunity to really evaluate what we were building at LifeHouse, and really, honestly, it revealed some things that were good and some things that weren't so good. So last week, I shared, I shared with you three foundational shifts that LifeHouse is going to be rebuilding on to do what God has called us to do. So, so, so let me tell you this. LifeHouse is vision and purpose is this here. And, and I shared this at the very end of last week's message. Lifehouse exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. Now, the thing is this, right? If, if this is your first time at Lifehouse, let me say welcome one more uh, one more time, Lifehouse family, can we, get up? can we give it up for all of our first-time guests here? This is a great opportunity for you to really hear about the heartbeat of our church. If you're somewhat new to our church, this is a great opportunity for you to really hear the DNA heart, the, and the, the heartbeat of our church. If Lifehouse is your home church, this might be somewhat new language to you. But the thing is this, y'all, this Rebuild series is talking to you and sharing and honestly me pouring out the guts of what we see Lifehouse being as we go forward. And basically saying this is what God is rebuilding and doing in the life of our church and that we hope to see God do in our city through our church. So basically, no matter where you're at with Lifehouse Church or even in your relationship with God, I believe this series is going to challenge you and empower you and really share with you the heart and vision of our church. So let me tell you this, right? With this, this vision statement, there are two words here that we intentionally put in that we felt were vitally important that maybe you just read through and didn't realize the importance of. And those two words are this, invite and uncommon. Invite and uncommon. And today, basically, I'm gonna share with you why those two words are vitally important to the purpose and vision of our church. I'm going to tell you a little bit about me, and maybe some of you, once you hear my story, you can resonate it. And I've shared this a couple times, but, you know, I grew up in church. Uh, honestly, my mom, she got, like, she got radically saved when, I, when she was pregnant with, with old Johnny Boy, okay? And, and so she got saved watching a TV program, Jimmy Swagger. So it was fire, hell, brimstone, man. Like, you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell. Like, it, I mean, it was fire brimstone, and my mom got radically saved. So when she got radically saved, our home changed. I remember it went from Michael Jackson to Sandy Patty, right? Like, now, obviously, I wasn't actually outside her stomach to actually know what was going on. This is what I was told. 
But, I mean, it went from, like, He-Man to Salty the Psalm book. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was like anything that's of the world is the devil, and the devil is not invading my home. So, honestly, growing up, my life was just, you know, tsunamied with, like, Christian culture. So it was like, you know what? I got paid to learn Bible verses. Five bucks a Bible verse. Give me the verses. I'm down. John, John 3.16, for God's the Lord of the world. I'll learn some Bible verses for $5. Went to a Christian school. Um, I, I remember I couldn't watch Care Bears. Could not eat Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms were the devil cereal. You know, they had a leprechaun. Leprechauns cast spells. You cannot consume marshmallow four-leaf clovers. No, definitely not. Never know what's in things. Could not eat Count Dracula. It's a vampire. So I like, I'm, I'm trying to say for you a little bit about what my childhood was growing up in regards to the Christian faith. I was in church. I can tell you how, how many times in kids' church I would get saved just to move. Anyone else been there? The children's pastor, they'd be like, anyone want to get saved? And I just was tired of sitting in my spot. So I'd be like, me, and I'd go down front. That's bad, I know, I know. When you're a kid, you try anything just to move, right? But it was in church on Sundays and Wednesdays. And, I mean, it was, it, it was I, it, you know, it, it, it was just, let me put it, put it this way. Nothing about my church experience or Jesus experience growing up felt very invitational. Felt forced. It was almost like, you will do this or else. John, if you don't, and, and, and the thing is, right, God is so good because he'll, he'll, he'll take even stuff like that and still work in your heart. And the thing is this, right, my mom and I, we had a conversation whenever I grew up and she was like, John, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just trying to do the best that I could. And I get that. You know, and, and she was trying to do the best that she knew how because she didn't want me to get into the same stuff she was in growing up. So, so the thing is, I know her heart was right. And even through that more forceful environment, I still felt the presence of God, even though I really didn't understand what I was actually feeling. But the environment was not very invitational. It felt very forced. It felt very coerced. It felt very manipulative and it it just felt like there was nothing of like God saying I love you I would like to have a relationship with you would you like to come and be in relationship with me it was more like you suck you're going to hell you're a terrible person what do you think you know it's just like and maybe some of you have experienced God that way maybe that has been your church experience maybe that was you growing up maybe that was your home maybe that was the way you like you even think of God right now where you don't, you don't think God has a smile on his face with his arms wide open saying, I want to, do you want to be in, do you want to know the God that created you? Maybe you see him as this forceful being in the universe waiting with the lightning bolt ready to strike you down the next time you step into church after you went out clubbing on Saturday night. I don't know what your relationship with God looked like or what your experiences with God was like, 
But why this word is so important to us is because as I've started to study the Bible, as I've started to experience God, what I see in Scripture is a God and Jesus that is invitational, not, not forceful. He's invitational. I read this, in, this incredible book by this, this, uh, by this one girl. Adele Calhoun, and it was called God's Invitations, and she, and she actually wrote this. She said this, God initiates relationship. God invited Abraham, the Hebrew people, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Gideon, David, prophets, fishermen, tax collectors, outcasts, women, men, crowds, enemies, betrayers, liars, and children to know him and be with him. It doesn't matter if you were on the paid staff of hell. God's invitation goes out to you again and again, everyone is equally yet uniquely invited into God's world and God's heart. Not one tribe or people group is excluded. The great inviter says, come to my dinner party, come be with me, and meet my guest. She goes on to say this, with our track record for cavalierly ignoring God-given invitations, I am amazed that God continues to send out the invites. As the first and the great inviter, God devotes himself to sending out invitations to come join his divine community. How easily we miss the magnitude and honor of this invitation. A self-sufficient, joyful trinity reaches out with welcome. Come and join us. Please RSVP. What I've seen is that God is an inviter. God is an inviter. That even when you look throughout scripture and instead of going by what somebody else wanted you to think God was, when you look in this book, it is a story about a God saying, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you. Not saying serve me or else. He's saying I'm here. I have shown myself. I have revealed myself. Do you want to be in relationship? And the thing is, this, right? He doesn't just invite a few chosen people. He invites all people. He invites all people. And the way that, one of the ways in scripture that I can see this is just by who Jesus himself invited to follow him. And I say this all the time because we've got to understand and how, how, how invitational Jesus was. Like whenever we see Jesus in scripture, in the gospel saying, come follow me, it wasn't a, come follow me. It was, I can see it being, come follow me. Basically saying, if you're curious, come on. Because the Peter and all these other, they had a choice. They did not have this like, oh, I've got to, no, it was like they had a choice. They had families, they had businesses, they had stuff going on. They had a choice, but it was because they were curious about the kind of life they saw Jesus actually doing living, they were like, maybe there is a different way to do things. Invitational, even in Jesus's life, we can see him being invitational. But I love it because the invite is open to all people. It's not open to a, to a few select people born in a certain place. It's not open to a certain kind of person that is rich, poor, short, aren't you glad, Dwayne? Tall, <laughs> black, white, Asian, Hispanic. It's literally open to all people. 
all people. And you can even see this, like I said, in the kind of people that Jesus called. Like Jesus intentionally had a diverse group of 12 disciples. Where I think if we understood how different they were, it would shock the living heck out of us. I mean, I can't, I, I can't even, be, I mean, just the one contrast that gets me is how he called Simon the Zealot, which was essentially a political terrorist, and then called someone that worked for the government. So he called a tax collector, Math, M- Matthew, and he called Simon the Zealot, which was a political terrorist that hated the Roman government. He called both of them and said, follow me. And they both did. All people, all people include the rebellious, and the religious. Let me talk to you about those two classifications. Because typically, whenever we think of those people, and I want you to think of what those people are to you, because you have a, a definition of what those people are. Jesus called the, re, the rebellious and the religious. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son, where it's, it's typically called the parable of the prodigal son, but it's really a parable of two sons. It's just the prodigal son is the one that always gets the bad rap because he was the one. He went out, and he took the father's inheritance and squandered it on wild living. He went to Vegas, gambled his father's inheritance away, slept with hookers, lived it up, drank it up, doesn't remember who we got, who we woke up to beside. I mean, just lived it up and then found himself like, oh, snap. And that's typically the one we, we like to get on. We're those prodigals. Those ones are living it up. Just sinning like crazy. But no one likes to talk about the religious one in the story that was doing all the right things with the wrong heart. Said he was in the father's house. And when he saw the grace that the, when, when, he, when this son, the oldest son, saw the grace that his father was going to have on the big sinner, said he got angry. Said, you've never even done nothing like that for me. You slaughtering this calf. You've never celebrated me. And what that did is it exposed the heart behind the good things he was doing. And what that story shows is it's two ways of missing Jesus' invitation. Through religion and rebellion. And y'all fall into one of those two. We all do. Because some of you, you've been that good person your whole life. You follow God's rules. You, you know, you're like, you got your stuff lined up. And you actually could miss Jesus' invitation because you are counting more on, if you were truly honest, you're counting more in what you do instead of what Jesus did for you. You're trying to save yourself. And you think if you do good things, it makes you better in God's sight and he likes you more. But some of you, yeah, you are rebellious. You like Jesus? Yeah, he's a cool teacher, cool guy. I'm going to do what I want to do, live it up. Peace. But, but the thing is, what this story shows us is it's two ways of missing God. And whenever we say at Lifehouse, all people, we hope the religious and the rebellious make their way in so they could find a real relationship, being invited by the great inviter to find real and true life. 
But let me tell you what churches have been good at is it's easier to hide behind religion. Some people get on churches for, for going too far. Not a lot of people get on churches for not going far enough. And by that, I mean this. A church is kind of like messy. Got some new people, don't know what the heck's going on. They're, 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 they're just like learning this thing. Like they're trying to, you know, they're inspired by something that they feel on the inside, but they, they haven't changed a lot of their lifestyle. And then some people in the church can be like, well, they've been here for so long, they haven't changed nothing. And I'm just like, you're an older brother. So, so it's like, have, have you reached out to help? Have you asked them out to coffee? Have you asked them what's going on in their life? Right? And what I'm saying is it can be easier for us to hide behind doing the good things. Instead, instead of us saying, how can we get our hands in the trenches and help some of these people who are still don't understand what's going on? But the thing is, is this, right? Religion and rebellion, y'all need to be saved from both. Because it's two ways of missing God. It's by your good works, and it's by you totally saying, we don't need to do anything. Jesus did the good work that you could not do. He died on the cross in your place and for your sin, rose and defeated Satan's sin and death. He did that. But then because of that, you can't help but not be changed in what you do. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not do enough good stuff and you might make it into heaven. It's Jesus has done this for you, you receive it, and then you live from it. So even the good stuff you do isn't done to get favor from God. It's done in response to what God has already done because you are responding to the love you've been given. You're responding to what? The invitation that God has given you. And he gives it to you. That, that, that is why, y'all, this word is so important. We want to invite because what our world does not need is more Christians holding signs up saying God hates you. What our world does not need is people saying, I love Jesus, and not living for him at all. The what's going to actually draw them isn't going to be what we say. It's going to be how we, how we live and how we present things. It can't just be, well, yeah, you don't know Jesus. It's going to be hot down there. It's got to be, Jesus has changed my life. I want to invite you to come and see for yourself. Invitational. And, and y'all, the, the, the reason why this is so important and vital to me is because I can see something here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that Paul was actually dealing with in a church he planted in the city of Corinth where, just let me read it to you and I'll explain he says this, you see, we are not like the many hucksters. First off, I love that word, <laughs> huckster. And Paul used it. We are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with what? Sincerity and the authority of Christ. What he's saying is, is like we're, we're not trying to coerce, manipulate people. We're going to be sincere. Like, it's just like sincerity. Isn't it nice being around sincere people? That like there's no like agenda? They're just sincere. It's like almost weird being around nice people because you're like, what do you want? What pyramid scheme are you trying to sell me on? 
trying to get me on Avon. I'm just kidding. If you do Avon, I mean, I don't know why someone would try to get me Avon, but, or, you know, it's like, oh, what do you, you know, what are you trying? Or it's like someone's nice and you're like, uh, right? But he's like, no, we're not trying to coerce, manipulate, or force people. We are, we're, we want to be sincere, real, like we want to be us, but then we want to know we're just not trying to get them to be in some self-help, Oprah, Dr. Phil type of thing. We want to have the authority of Christ where we're solid and we are content and, and we are strong in what, in what we believe, but we present it and share it and show it with the utmost sincerity. My heart, guys, and why this whole invite thing is important to me is because we want to invite you. We want to invite our community. We want to invite the world to say, hey, Come and see what this thing is about because God is the great inv- inviter and all we want to do is be like him and say, come and try this thing out. Come and see what life is like doing it God's way. But whenever we do it, we want to do it with sincerity but with the authority that Christ gives. Is this making sense? And we want to do it to all people. I just want to warn you right now Lifehouse is probably going to be a little messy. Lifehouse is messy. <laughs> Someone said, it is. <laughs> Lifehouse is a little bit messy. And do, you know, and do you know what? I'm fine with that. Because everyone loves to birth, birth babies, but not a lot of people like to take care of them. That's the messy part. But at the same time, we need people who, who have said, like, I... I've, I've been there, I've grown up now, what can I do to actually help, right? And because here's the thing, right? When, you know, Dwayne talked about Peter earlier, and it's really crazy, when, whenever you study Peter's journey, Peter was with a physical Jesus for three years. So we're not talking about like he had this belief in Jesus. Like he, he was with him. Like, how many of y'all have ever been like, if I could just see Jesus, then I'd believe more? First sure, we've probably all been there. And Peter had this moment where he saw, like, he was with him for three years, following him. He saw him get crucified. Like, Peter went to this point, just what Dwayne pointed out. He said, Jesus brought him up to this point, and he was like, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ. And it's that great moment, like that mountaintop moment Jesus, you are. And I don't know, about a year later, he was also the one saying, I don't know that dude. So how does Peter go from, he's the Christ, to I don't know this dude? It's called the journey. It's called the journey, y'all. But at the same time, Peter had a what? Resurrection moment of Jesus where it became real to him, where he, he, just, where he saw it, he was like, yeah, Jesus crucified, and now Jesus is living. It was his journey. Are we a church that will support people along their journey, where they have moments, he's the Christ, the next moment, I don't, I don't, I don't know him. Because y'all, let's just be honest, that's the way a lot of people's journeys are, especially when they start off. They're like, he's the Christ. I don't know him. He's the Christ. I don't know him. But he had a resurrection moment. I was talking to 
yesterday a couple within our church. Because here's the thing, resurrection moments of Jesus can look different. Resurrection, like, resurrection moments where you see that this thing is actually real can happen in your greatest pain. They could be painful moments. They could be tragedy. They could be blessing moments. But at the same time, there are just moments where something in us clicks and we actually say this thing is actually real and legit. And you, then you say, I'm completely giving my life to it. It's true. We all have those moments. I, I remember my moment. 16 years, years old, thought I was going to be a dad. Moment. It was at that moment, all the seeds that my mom had dumped into me sprouted. Like, oh, this is real. Here's the thing. As a church, we've got to be willing to, as people, he's the Christ. Don't know him. He's the Christ. Don't know him. But at the same time, people will hit those resurrection moments where they have that Peter-type environment where they say, oh my gosh, this is, th he is who he says he is, and they give their life to it. Who was the first one preaching on the first day the church was born? Peter standing up in front of thousands of people proclaiming the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Do y'all see this? We have to be a church that says we are committed not to just invite, but commit to saying we're going to see you through your life's journey. Amen? Here's the, here's the thing, right? Secondly, invite, but secondly, uncommon. Uncommon. This word is vitally important to me. Why? Because here's the thing, right? Jesus said this, John 10, 10. He said this, I, I have come, and this right here is, is Jesus talking. He said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And, and that word there, abundantly if you look within the greek language that word there does not just mean abundantly but that but the but that word could also be tr be translated uncommon basically meaning it's something completely different completely out of the ordinary that people observe and see that is just completely different and this is the kind of life that i believe jesus invites us into where, here's the thing, if we don't understand how uncommon Jesus' life was, we won't understand how uncommon our lives are called to be. Where when you truly look at, I mean, just think, a guy named Jesus lived 2,000 years back, ministry lasted three years, has influenced everything about our world. Pastor Mark Driscoll says it like this. He says this, at first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office, never wrote a book, never married, never had sex, never attended college, never visited a big city, never won a poker tournament. Yet more songs have been sung to him, artwork created of him, and books written about him than anyone who has ever lived. He says this, in fact, Jesus looms so large over human history that we actually measure time by him. Our calendar is divided into the years before and after his birth, noted as what? B.C. and AD. Do you, do, you, do, you, like, do you just see how uncommon the life of Jesus was? That it was something completely out of the ordinary. It was something that transformed history. I mean, how literally does a guy that lived 33 years impact the world 2,000 years later? Driscoll continues to say this. He says, as Jesus never wrote, Jesus never wrote a book, but the Library of Congress holds more books 
about Jesus than about any other historical figure. Roughly twice as many as Shakespeare, the runner-up. One University of Chicago scholar has estimated that more has been written about Jesus in the last 20 years than in the previous 19 centuries combined. Jesus never ran for a political office, but more people have chosen him to be their leader than anyone else who has ever lived. Jesus was not formally educated, nor did he lecture in a classroom, but he has more students than anyone else ever has or will have. Jesus was not a therapist, but he has helped more people than all the counselors, therapists, and psychologists combined. Jesus was not an an artist, but more artwork has been commissioned of him than anyone else who has ever lived. Do y'all feel this? Like, do y'all feel the weight of this man, Jesus? And I think sometimes we can, in our church, we can kind of, kind of, kind of like shrink Jesus's influence in our world to what he's done for us personally, and we actually miss the fact of what Jesus has done in history. The fact that you've got secular historians that don't even believe in Jesus. Let, let me give you a couple here. Steve, Stephen Neal, he says this. He who says Jesus also says history. H.G. Wells says this. I, I am an historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. Kenneth Scott Latteretz says this, as the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on, on, on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet. These are not Christians, guys. These are not people that are being paid to say this. These are secular historians that are saying Jesus was the person that lived the most uncommon life ever. Do you feel the weight of that? And here's the thing. If you don't understand that, if you don't see how uncommon Jesus' life was, you'll miss how uncommon your life is called to be. And I think sometimes we dumb down how uncommon and different our life is called to be because we start conforming. Well, this is what Christians do. We shut up, we get in our little corner, and we stay there because if we speak up, it, it's a private faith. It's a private matter between me and God. And I'm like, is that the example Jesus set? Guys, we, we can't forget about Jesus. And, and, and that's why I'm saying, right, like if, if, if you are a brand new Christ follower, you've never followed Christ before, like it's so important you read about Jesus. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were like, where should I start reading in the Bible? I was like, don't read in Genesis. Don't start there. And a bunch of Christians are probably laughing at that because you know how hard that is. You're like, Genesis, okay, the first three chapters are cool. Then it's a Jerry Springer show. Then you're like, what in the world's going on here? And then he's like, why is that person sleeping with that person? Who's this guy? Who's that guy? And then you get into Leviticus, and then you're like, oh, uh, I'm tired. <laughs> like, you know, but it's like, start with Jesus, y'all. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, get in, because when you read about Jesus, you read about the potential that your life has. Because here's the thing, Jesus' life shows us what a human being that is completely submitted to the spirit of God and completely filled with the presence of God has the potential of doing on this planet. 
making tremendous impact, but also making tremendous sacrifice. In Jesus' life, we see what potential we have of somebody who was submitted to, to personal discipline and also filled with the spirit of God. But here's the thing, right? I, 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 think, I think today we have to be, for us to see how uncommon Jesus was, we have to understand the worldwide influence that Jesus had. So what I want to do really quick is I want to share with you how the influence of Jesus' life hasn't just, hasn't just affected religion or just hasn't affected souls, but literally has affected the way people view other people and people view stuff in our world. Let me, let me give you a few quotes from this book, Who Is This Man by John Ortberg, which if I was going to suggest one book outside of the Bible that talks about the, the power of Jesus' life, this would be the book. If you are a reader and you are like, John, I've read the Bible, or possibly you're like, John, I am reading the Bible and I would like to learn more about Jesus, Who Is This Man by John Ortberg is the most powerful book that I have ever read about the influence of Jesus' life outside of just him being a a religious leader that some people call him. Here's the thing. This is what he says. Children would be thought of differently because of Jesus. Historian O.M. Beck wrote a study called When, Christian, when Children Became People, The Birth of Childhood and Early Christianity, in which he noted that in the ancient world, children usually didn't get named until the eighth day or so. Up until then, there was a chance that the infant would be killed or left to die of exposure particularly if it was deformed or of the unpreferred gender. This custom changed because of a group of people who remembered that they were followers of a man who said, let the little children come to me. Why? Because they saw people, every human being made in the image of God. Jesus never married, but his treatment of women led to the formation of a community that was so congenial to women that they would join it in record numbers. In fact, the church was disparaged by its opponents for precisely that reason. And Jesus' teachings about sexuality would lead to the disillusion of a sexual double standard that was actually encoded in Roman law. Jesus never wrote, Jesus never wrote a book. It is called to love God with all of one's mind will lead to a community with such a reverence for learning that when the classical world was destroyed in what sometimes is called the dark ages, the little that little community would preserve what was left of its learning. In time, the movement he started would give rise to libraries and then guilds of learning. Eventually, Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Yale and virtually the entire Western system of education and scholarship would arise because of his followers. The insistence on universal literacy would grow out of an understanding that this Jesus, who was himself a teacher, who highly praised truth, told his followers to enable every person in the world to learn. Do you... Are y'all catching what I'm trying to throw out? I'm trying to throw out, y'all, Jesus lived uncommon. And what I believe he invites us into is this sort of, of uncommon life. Where Let me just give you a picture here. Jarvis, you can go ahead and come up and start playing keys so I can know to stop. Because <sighs> sometimes I'll just keep on, keep on going. And so that helps me to know the countdown's on where let me get my spot here 
What, what would it look like if we at LifeHouse became a community of people that accepted the great invitation from the great inviter to live this uncommon life, and we had a community of people committed to being like Jesus. What would it look like to have a community of people? That, that, here's the thing, right? In, in your life, in your family, in, in, at your job, in the grocery store, in whatever social circles you're in, you had people that have said, the driving ambition, the driving force of my life is to literally be a physical, tangible expression of a Jesus that cannot be seen. And we all committed to that. We said we accept the invitation to live this uncommon life. To say the main ambition, the main goal, the main trajectory of my life is to be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus to where we had a bunch of little Jesuses. Bunch of little Jesuses. Because honestly, Christian simply means little Christ. That's what we see. Acts chapter 11, Christians were first, like that's where they first got the whole thing. It was like, oh, there's, there's little Christ. Essentially saying the goal of their life was, was to be the physical, tangible, tangible exp, expression of Jesus. What if at your workplace you were known as up oh, there, there's little Christ. There's, and here's the thing, that does not mean perfection. So that does not mean if, if, if you cuss, oh, my whole cover's blown. There's, there's the little Christ cusser, you know, like. Because I think, I think sometimes we can think that. It's like, well, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I have to be perfect. You know, you can actually show who Jesus is. Whenever you do something you know you shouldn't do, you go and apologize, and that actually speaks loudly to the gods you follow. That's why, honestly, with our kids, I'm apologizing to my kids all the time. I'm like, yo, I'm sorry. The way that I acted there was way out of line. Why? Because even in my failure as a parent, and I want to be a good parent, but I fail all the time, even in my failures, I can show them the power of the gospel. And I can tell them I'm not Jesus, but I'm trying to be like him. But I'm letting you know the way that I acted there and talked there was not very Christ-like. Would you please forgive me? I'm showing them I'm not big enough to ask for forgiveness, even to my children. I'm not big enough. How would it affect your coworker if they knew you were a Christian and you said something, you did something, there was a work situation and you got fired up and you said some stuff you shouldn't say? How impactful would it be if you went to that person and said, hey, I, I, you know, what I said back, back there was completely out of line and I apologize, I'm sorry. That is not the witness that I want to show. Would you please forgive me? You know how that would communicate the gospel to them? Y'all, like, like I, I'm just thinking, what if, what if we just had a community of people that called our church home that, that said, we just not want to just go to church. We want to go and be the church in our families, in our communities, wherever we go. And our goal, we want to be little Christ. Not that we're trying to be like, like y'all know what I'm saying when I say that, right? No, no one's going to like message me, Pastor John saying we're all going to be just, you know, we're all... We're all just like little gods. No, I'm not saying that. So please don't email me that. I'm not saying that. 
I'm just saying that our lives are saying like, we know whose they are. We know whose they follow. We know who, like we know what they're trying to be like. What if we flooded our city with people like that in the school system, in the military, at the shipyard, at Ferguson, and all of the other places, the gyms, the one lives, the Planet Fitnesses. I hate Planet, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding, Planet Fitness is cool. Uh, one, you know, just, and we just said, we're just gonna go out and we wanna be the tangible, physical expression of Jesus, where instead of living selfishly, we live selflessly. Where instead of labeling people by all these labels the world gives them, we see them as being made in the image of God and worthy of the love of God. Where instead of it being, we want to, to receive, we live with open hands where we're free to give whatever God gives us, whatever money, whatever property, whatever car, whatever stuff. We don't say, God, it's mine. We say, God, it's yours. How do you want to use it to bless someone else? What would it look like to have a people who are actually relationally healthy, who actually forgive because they realize what they've been forgiven of? who don't hold grudges, who say, I wanna give the same love that I've been given. Like I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture for us. What would m- marriages look like if we had two people striving to be like Jesus in it? Y'all, that, that's what I'm saying. Jesus wants to be you through you. Did that make sense? <laughs> Jesus wants... Jesus wants to, I don't know, I'm tired. Jesus wants to show himself through you. You're the physical, tangible expression of him. And what if we had a community of people that said, Lifehouse exists, y'all, like to invite. Come on, the, the rebellious, yeah, y'all out clubbing last night, come on. The religious, those of you who think you're good because of all, you, all, all the money you given away and all the good works you do and you're just trying to rely on, yep, come on, all. invite all to live an uncommon life. And next week, I'm going to dive into the four steps we see as being that life uncommon. And so basically, well, actually not not next week because next week is for our city Sunday. So starting on the 22nd, I'm gonna be talking about what those four steps are. Can we stand up though? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us next Sunday online or in person. For service times, visit lifehousenn.com.